0: Good morning. I uh, have a picture in my mind of my grandfather. This is my dad's dad, and uh, he he grew. uh, He lived in the country of Oklahoma. Now, when I say country, I mean I mean country. I mean the, the the kind of you go down the highway, you turn off after mile marker eight, you drive a mile and a half until you see the cemetery. Then you take a left and you drive five miles until you pass the oak on the right or whatever it is. And then you look for the driveway on the left and you drive onto his land. And then out there in the middle of the land is where he had a house. And this is the house that my dad was raised in. It was a house that probably had, if I remember right, Four rooms, okay, not bedrooms. Four rooms. No indoor plumbing. There was an outhouse out back, and I have this picture in my mind of my grandfather outside the house on the land, on his knees, crying out to God. And as he's crying out to God, he I don't I don't honestly don't know what it is that troubled him. I don't know what it is that moved him to this place where he was in anguish as he begged God maybe for rain so that the crops could grow. Or maybe he was wrestling with his own demons and wanted freedom from those things. Or maybe he was just grieving the loss of his wife as his son looked on. But here's the thing, I don't know what it was that moved my grandfather to that place because I never met my grandfather. He had passed long before I was ever born and my father told me that story because clearly it had left an impression in his own mind. And that story has remained impressed upon my mind as I think about my dad's dad. My guess is it just gives me some type of connection to the legacy of my own family. Clearly, my granddad was a man of faith. And so there's a heritage there that I get to share in. And so maybe that's one of the reasons why that story comes to mind often uh, for me. I think there's another piece of that And it's that besides knowing that there's a legacy, a heritage that I share with my my father and my father's father, it also gave some human texture to this man that I had never met, that I had only known in two-dimensional photographs in a family album. Now, when we get to this chapter of Hebrews chapter 11... In many ways, that's exactly what the author of Hebrews is doing for us. He is going to take us through this history of faith, a family history as we're told way back from the very beginning of how those who have gone before us looked to the promises of God in hope and held on to those promises with a conviction that was unmoved, even when they died before seeing those promises fulfilled. And so I want you to go to Hebrews 11. And as you're turning there to Hebrews 11, I want to kind of share with you just a big idea that we're going to see here in this chapter. And you'll see it up here on the screen. It says, Followers of Jesus share in a long history of the family of faith. What is that? The family of faith. These are men and women who received the grace of God, trusted the character of God, heeded the voice of God, and awaited the promises of God, and catch this, to the very end. Okay, that's the big idea today as we open up this chapter in the book of Hebrews. And I'm going to just dive right in. Verse 1, if you know anything about this chapter, and it actually is a very familiar chapter in the Bible, oftentimes called the Hall of Faith, as it chronicles all of these stories of old. It says in verse 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And oftentimes when we encounter this verse, we encounter it in isolation as I just read it. Maybe it's a magnet on your fridge, right? And and when we look at it in isolation like that, I got to be honest with you, it kind of loses some of its power. It just kind of seems like uh, something Zen-like, right? We're all like, well, thanks, Yoda. <laughs> Appreciate the you know, the, the Jedi platitude and maybe this has some meaning for us in some form or fashion, right? I mean, that's kind of how we can read this if, if we see it out of context. But the context that this author is bringing us into is that the life of faith is not necessarily a life that is easy, In fact, the life of faith is is a life that at at times is going to be excruciating and difficult and hard. And with that in mind, he's telling those that are listening, hey, you've got to remember something about faith. Faith is the assurance of the things that we expect connected to the promises of God. Faith is the conviction, this unmoved conviction of ours and the things that are not yet accomplished in the context of the promises of God. This is just kind of a free because we're not there. But for me, I think the best definition of faith that we find in the scripture is actually found in Romans chapter 4, verse 21, where Paul, the apostle, tells us speaking of Abraham, that what Abraham did, the father of faith, is he was firmly persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. That's faith. That's faith. And that's exactly what the author of Hebrews is echoing here. And so he goes from verse one into verse two and says, by faith, um, the people of old received their commendation. And so he's setting up the chapter for us. He's going to take us on this tour through an ancient, long history of a family of faith. Those who received the grace of God, those who trusted in the character of God, those who heeded the voice of God and those who awaited the promises of God to the very end. And so in verse three, he says to us, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Because here's a bedrock truth when it comes to you and I understanding a life of faith. It is established upon the word of God. And the word of God is true The word of God is sure. The word of God will stand forever. The word of God will accomplish its purpose. The word of God is something that can never fail. And so he starts right off the bat saying, hey, here's where we're going and here's what you've got to remember that this is all based upon, founded upon the very words of God. And so, what I'm going to do, because my task this morning is to walk us through this chapter, okay? And every single one of these names that we're going to encounter is a story in and of itself out of the Old Testament. And so either we're here through tomorrow morning, or I've got to give you guys just some really big ideas that we're going to grab a hold of as we sprint through the chapter, okay? And I'm, I'm not even going to vote. I'm just assuming all of us are going to pick the latter on that one, all right? So here's what I want to do. We're going to start in verse 4, but I'm going to put a big idea up here on the screen for you, a big, big title for this one, Okay. By faith, we awaken to ultimate realities, okay? By faith, we awaken to ultimate realities. And here's what I want you to see, okay? Verse four, the first Old Testament character in the family of faith that we're introduced to may take you a little bit by surprise, but it's actually Abel. Now, Abel was a son of Adam and Eve. So we're in the first family of mankind as we come across Abel. And he says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Cain is his brother, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, yet he still speaks. Now, here's the reality of the story is that Abel didn't just die, but Abel was murdered by his brother Cain because his gifts were accepted and Cain's were not. Okay? So right out of the gate here, Right out of the gate, you and I are confronted with an ultimate reality of life. That there are going to be those who find themselves receiving the grace of God and transformed by that grace through faith. And there are going to be those who do not. And those who do not can be hostile toward those who do. To the point of death. This is a life in death reality that we're confronted with, isn't it? I mean, if you know anything about biblical history, if you know anything about what's happening in this first family, this is something we knew was coming. When their parents, Adam and Eve, disobeyed the voice of God and Eve took the fruit, ate it, gave some to her husband who was with her and God said, listen, this is death now. And from what we know in biblical history, The first death is actually a murder. Sin has come, and sin destroys us. What are we going to do about that? Well, look at the next story. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was committed as having pleased God. Here's what's crazy about the story of Enoch. You could go to Genesis chapter 5. If you're a note taker, just write it down. And you're going to come across the first genealogy that we find in Scripture. And the one thing that you're going to notice about every person that's introduced in this genealogy is regardless of how many years they lived, at the end of those years, what happens? They die. They die. They die. Just like Abel, just like God promised. Sin has come, and sin brings death, and so we listen over and over and over again in this first genealogy as every single one of these patriarchs is introduced and told who he was, who he begat, or who his son was, and then how long he lived, and then he died until you get to Enoch. And Enoch is the only one in this entire genealogy as we read through it, where all of a sudden we come to Enoch and it says, Enoch, he lived this many years, he walked with God, and then he wasn't. What? What? What happened to Enoch? God took him. Because that's what God does. The only way for you and I to escape the pattern of sin and death that we find in the lineage of our families is for us to participate in a different lineage, this family of faith where God reaches down and rescues us from death so that we do not face the consequences and penalty of sin. These are ultimate realities that we're faced with, and it's faith that awakens us to these life and death, sin and destruction, grace and salvation realities. Look at the next one we're introduced to, verse 7. Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. We all know the story of Noah, right? If you're brand new to the Bible, the world had become exceedingly wicked. These generation after generation had just continued to set their hearts and their minds on things that were perverse, things that were against God and his grace and his goodness and the creation that he'd made. It was all going awry. And so God gives favor, grace, A man named Noah tells him to build a boat because rain is coming and it's going to flood and destroy the earth, save for Noah and his family. Once again, I know we got an extra hour of sleep, but for whatever reason, we all came in, right? It's cloudy, right? We're all moving a little slow this morning. And maybe this just isn't what you bargained for as you walked in to the auditorium and we opened up God's word. But here's the thing. The wrath of God comes. And that wrath is just and righteous because there are none who seek God. There are none who look out after God. And when that wrath comes, we all stand in its path and we all rightly deserve that condemnation and judgment and wrath. And apart from God interceding for us, apart from God saying, hey, build a boat because the flood is coming and everything is going to die. Apart from God saying, I'm going to put my son upon a cross and I'm going to pour my wrath upon him. And if you want to be spared this judgment, you must look to him. This is an ultimate reality and it's faith that wakens us to these ultimate realities. And right off the starting line here in chapter 11, we are confronted with these ultimate realities. Now, this can be a great comfort for those who are part of the family of faith. But if you are not a follower of Jesus here today, then I want you to hear the warning. I want you to heed the warning that we find here in these words. Because there is a way of salvation and God has provided it for us in Christ Jesus. We're going to keep moving through here. I want you to see this next one. Uh, By faith, we long for a better country. Now, I know the minute that I put that word country up there, culturally, we all just go right to the country in which we live in. And longing for a better country is probably not a stretch for the majority of us in this room, okay? Okay but this is not a political statement as much as it is a statement of identity for us. Where is it that you and I find our home? Where is it that you and I belong? Where is it that you and I in our lives are ultimately moving toward? Like that's what God is talking about here and he introduces us to this family in the the lineage of faith that, that we typically refer to as the father of faith. And it's Abraham. In verse eight, it says, Abraham obeyed God when he was called out to go to a place that he was receiving as an inheritance, and he went out. Not even knowing where he's going, he he follows, he heeds the voice of God. And by faith, he lives in a land of promise as in a foreign land. So he's told, this is your land. And so he sets up a tent and he lives in it as a foreigner, even though it's the land that's promised to him by God, it says. And he does this with his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob because he's looking forward, he's looking forward to God making good on the promises that he's made. Now, by faith, Sarah, this is Abraham's wife, herself received power to conceive. Now, that's a big deal because, number one, she's barren, and number two, she's like 90 years old, okay? And, and, and I don't know what you know about biblical times, but somebody giving birth at 90 is, is just as odd then as it is now, okay? All right, like, like this would be, on the news racks in the grocery store. I can't believe those things still exist. But but they would be there, okay? So Sarah is past the age of conception, and yet she receives through faith the power to conceive, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Verse 12, Therefore, from one man, him as good as dead, okay, just again, Abraham is, is not only just as old as Sarah, but another 10 years. So you got a 100-year-old dude and a 90-year-old lady having a baby, Okay? like, tell me, right? People are fainting, right? If if that family had walked up here this morning, (laughs) right? Right? I mean, we're all, we're all getting the phone out, right? I mean, we're all just like, man, I got to put this on Facebook. Like, look at this. This is crazy, right? This is crazy. So, She's having a baby, he's as good as dead, and yet from them are born descendants as many as the stars of the heaven, as numerous as the grains of sand. Now verse 13 is what you really need to notice in reference to the story of Abraham and Sarah. Because verse 13 is going to tell us something that the author is going to come back to later. And he says this in verse 13, these all died in faith not having received the things promised. What does that mean? Well, what was promised to Abraham wasn't just a child in his old age, but that he would be the father of nations. And and I don't know about you, but if I had a baby and I was told I was going to have nations, that's not the same thing. So, he died without receiving this promise that he was going to father nations. He was told that he would have a land. He lives in a tent. Like, that's not a home. This doesn't look like God had promised me. He was told that through him, the entire earth, the families of the earth would be blessed none of them know who Isaac is. None of them know who Abraham is. He dies, and these promises that he received from God, he never saw them fulfilled. Now, what it goes on to tell us is that God's okay with that. Now, let that sink in for just a second. God's okay with him dying before receiving the promises. God's all right with that. That's a hard word for us to hear, isn't it? It, Just as hard as it would have been for Abraham and Sarah to hear. They could rejoice in the birth of their son Isaac but they never rejoiced in seeing the promises of God come to fruition on this earth. And God was all right with that. God was more than all right with that, but it says that they saw those promises and they greeted them from afar, verse 13, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And for people who speak this way, it's clear that they're seeking a homeland, a better country, Verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. And so when faith awakens us to ultimate realities and we begin to place our hopes in things that are not yet seen, we place ourselves in this family, in this lineage that God says, These are my people, this is my boy, this is my girl. These are the ones I receive gladly. Now that's amazing to hear, isn't it? That even when we live and die without seeing the promises of God fulfilled, that God is not only okay with that, but God applauds that, God embraces that. God welcomes us to himself with delight when by faith we long for a better country. So let's keep going. We're gonna be back in the story of Abraham. Verse 17, it says, uh, well, here's the big idea. Verse 17, it says, by faith uh, we, next one, help me out. By faith we anticipate the fulfillment of promises. You probably saw that one coming. Um, By faith, we anticipate the fulfillment of promises. Look at verse 17. By faith, Abraham, we're still in the same story. When he was tested, he offered up Isaac and he who received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Now, listen, if this is your first time here, if this is your first time in, in the story, the, just the narrative of the Bible overall, I'm just going to apologize up front because I realize, I realize that, that this sounds off, okay? So, so what is Abraham doing? Well, he's got a knife and he's about to sacrifice his son. Wait, 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 wait what? What? <laughs> what is he doing? Who is this guy? You call him the father of faith? Yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, we kind of esteem him. Um, we kind of look at him as the guy who kind of started this whole faith thing for us in the church, right? Um, and, and he's doing what? He's going to sacrifice his son, right? Like you can't wrap your mind around that. Why is he going to do that? Well, because God told him, right? right? What? So again, if you're, if, you're, if you're new, if this is not a story that you're familiar with, okay, what I want you to see is that while God tested Abraham, asking him to offer up the very son through whom God said the promises would come, that Abraham obeyed God. He heeded the voice of God because look at what it tells us in the very next verse. This is verse verse 19. Because Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him, Isaac, from the dead. So talk about anticipating the fulfillment of promises, right? I, I, I've got four boys. I, I can't even fathom having that conversation with God. Okay, and, and I've got no promise of a nation or land or blessing of the whole world, okay? And, and yet I'm going to have trouble with that. God, do you want me to do what? All right all right, then I'm going to trust that if you have me sacrifice the very life of the one through whom you've promised these things, that that you'll bring him back to life. That's anticipating the fulfillment of promises, isn't it? And, And that's basically now the lineage that we see. Isaac, he's going to do the same thing Verse 20, with his sons Jacob and Esau, he's going to give them future blessings, things that he will never see, but he's anticipating the promises as God has passed them from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. Uh, By faith, Jacob, verse, verse 21, he's dying. He's going to bless his sons, and now it's not just Abraham blessing his one son, Isaac, or Isaac blessing his two sons, um, Jacob and Esau. It's Jacob blessing his 12 sons. I mean, before our very eyes, and we're watching this promise begin to take shape. But even so, Jacob is blessing his 12 sons. There's probably about 70 people. That's a family reunion, but that's not a nation. He's in the land of Egypt. That's not the land God promised him. They're all looking ahead. They're all anticipating the fulfillment of God's promises. Look at verse 22. By faith, Joseph at the end of his life made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. I I love this one. I love this one. Because if you know anything about Joseph, Joseph was hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, and shipped down to Egypt. And in Egypt, he goes through all kinds of troubles and hardships, but ultimately is elevated to basically like a vice president position. Like he's, he's even more than that. He's like in charge of the country next to Pharaoh, who was the ruler of Egypt, okay? That's Joseph's story. So needless to say, Joseph, lived, he's lived a pretty good life. And, and he's, he's lived the formative years of his life in Egypt, and while he's dying in Egypt, he gathers his family around and he says, I'm, I'm about to die and you're going to have to do something with my body. And so you're going to put it in the ground here. But, but listen, God told us he would give us a land. This is like 300 years from now. But he's like, God told us he's going to give us a land. And so whenever that comes, would you take my bones? Would you just dig them up? Would you take them with you, put them on a cart, do something? But I want to be buried by my fathers in the land that God promised us. Like he's anticipating the fulfillment of promises, isn't he? Next story is Moses. Verse 23. Moses is is born. He's hidden because at this time it's a different Pharaoh and he's slaughtering the, the, the Jewish boys. He's spared, and he grows up. Verse twenty-four: a son of Pharaoh's daughter. Daughter. So, so Moses, like Joseph, is giving this this place of prominence. He's given this place of of, of position. This he's given this place of, of influence and, and and prosperity. It's he has an easy life, especially compared to those of his own people, and yet. Moses does not get to spend his life in that position like Joseph does. Moses instead is confronted with whether or not he enjoys the pleasures of life as a prince of Pharaoh or whether he associates himself with his people and his God in those promises. And and here's what it tells us, Moses anticipating future blessings. It says in verse 24 that Moses chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. I mean, listen to that anticipation of promises. I I love Joseph's story. I love it, right? Right? You're gonna bury me, dig up them bones, man. Take them with you because God's gonna do this. But Moses' story is far, far more powerful because he has to sacrifice the position. He has to sacrifice the prosperity. He has to sacrifice this place of pleasure and wealth. He has to lay that aside in order to say, I am going to trust that the fulfillment of God's promises is far greater than whatever this world could give me here and now. By faith, we anticipate future fulfillment. That's what we're seeing here in these stories. Abraham all the way through Moses, okay? And again, if you're new to the Bible thing, I mean, we're we're like, uh, we're like well into uh, Exodus now, okay? Like we just sprinted through Genesis and now like we're into Exodus and that's, that's, uh, that's where he's going to continue to go. But we, we got a new big idea here, here. Let me give you a new heading, okay? We're going to go to verse uh, 29, is it? And hey, look at this. We're moving. You guys are doing great. By faith, we participate in the remarkable. By faith, we participate in the remarkable, okay? So we're still in Exodus. The people are now following Moses out of Egypt. And it says in verse 29, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land, okay? Do we know this story, right? Ten Commandments, Prince of Egypt, right? I mean, everybody's tried. They've given it their best shot. But, but I mean, no, none of us, right? None of us can wrap our minds around what in the world it would have looked like, what it would have felt like to, to be on the edge of the Red Sea, okay, with, with a nation An army behind you, the water before you, panicking. What do we do now, right? Drown or slaughtered? What do we do, right? I mean, they're freaking out, and Moses, leading the people, puts his staff in the water, the water parts. They walk across on dry land. And and think, guys, with me for this a second. As amazing as that is, it's still a nation of people, men, women, children, okay, belongings, herds, the whole thing, walking across this while an army is pursuing them with horse and chariot, okay? So as amazing as the parting of the sea is and the walking across dry land is, as amazing as that, that is, they're still getting slaughtered. Do you realize that? Like the army's gonna catch up. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. This is remarkable, isn't it? God literally rescuing a nation of people from the most powerful country on the face of the planet, the most advanced and powerful military on the face of the planet. And God just says, you know what? I'm going to get them out of here. And I'm going to move them right through this body of water and I'm going to set the trap, and the army's going to run right through there thinking that they've got them, and then I'm just going to drown the army like that. That's remarkable. That's remarkable. That's the kind of victory that you tell your grandchildren about, right? Am I right? Like, that's, that's way more amazing than the Dodgers winning game seven, right? I'm, I'm just, you got to <laughs> follow me there, okay? I know that stung for some of you guys, okay? But, but you would have been telling your grandchildren about that. Okay, it's been 30 years. I know it. You would have been telling your grandchildren about that. But that doesn't even touch the remarkable nature of God delivering the people, his people, from the Egyptian army. It doesn't even touch it. It's amazing. It's remarkable. By faith, we participate in the remarkable. Look at the next one. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Same thing right, like they, the people have to be rescued from Egypt and spared from slaughter by the army only to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, another story altogether, and then they finally get to the land God had promised them and the first thing they encounter as they come to the land God promised them, they encounter a fortress, they encounter the city of Jericho and its walls and its ramparts and, and, and they, they can't do anything. They can't do anything. I mean, they're, they're just a nation of wanderers. Okay, what are they going to do? Like throw some rocks at the wall? Like run up and beat it with sticks? I mean, it's like a Monty Python sketch, right? I mean, this isn't going to work. They, they can't do anything. And to make matters worse, I mean, this is for me just the comedy of the scripture. But, but at, before they entered the land, because this, this, this generation was just kind of so backwards when it came to the people of God, God required that all the men get circumcised before they enter the land, Okay the reason that's such a big point is because even if they were able to somehow muster the might to conquer Jericho, good luck, right? All of your fighting men are recovering. All of your fighting men are like, I'm not getting up. I can't run. Like, no way. Like, that's what, that's what the people of Israel are doing now is they face the reality that's before them. And so what does God do? He's like, look, just walk around the wall. <laughs> what? Just walk around the wall. Do it once today. Do it once the next day. Okay. I mean, can you imagine, right? They're all hobbling, right, <laughs> around the wall, holding their rocks and their sticks. I, that, I, I mean, we can try to make it as two-dimensional as we want, guys, but you all know if we were there, we would have just been moaning the entire time. Yeah, What's the point of this? What is the point of this? Joshua has lost his mind. Why did Moses have to die? That's what we would have been doing, all of us, just moaning about it. What do we do today, Joshua? We're going to walk around the wall again. Uh, (laughs) Right? I mean, that's what all of us would have done. And then then the seventh day comes. What do we do today, Joshua? We're going to walk around the wall. Ah, seven times. What? I mean, it would have been a mutiny. I'm not walking around this wall seven times. All right, here we go, right? One, and they get around, six, seven. Now what? Scream and yell, (laughs) right? I I would almost bet at this point, they're all screaming and yelling at Joshua. They just had it, right? They're like, yeah, I'll scream and yell, right? And they scream and yell, and the walls fell. (laughs) They fall. The walls crumble. (laughs) This is remarkable, it's remarkable. They listen to the voice of God and he delivers them. He fights for them. It's remarkable what we're reading here. It's remarkable what we see in the lineage, the history of our faith, this family of faith. It's remarkable. And by faith, we participate in these things. I love this next story. Verse 31, by faith, Rahab, the prostitute did not perish, with those who are disobedient. I mean, again, we're, we're just sprinting so fast. We're running by so much. But, but, but Rahab, she's not part of God's people. She's not a Hebrew. She's a resident of Jericho, OK? She lives in the wall. And yet, she tells the spies that Joshua sends in to scout out the city, she tells them, listen, When you come, will you remember me? Because I know that God has given you this land. What? How does that mean? How does she know this? But for any of us, for any of us that have been in a place where we feel as though we've been outcast and marginalized and overlooked and forgotten, does Rahab's story not give us great hope? that by faith we too can participate in the remarkable story of God and his grace toward us. And that's Rahab. She's spared. She's brought in to the nation of God's people. And and just because it is such an amazing story, you could go there, Matthew chapter one, you read through the genealogy of Jesus Christ. There's five women mentioned in that genealogy. And Rahab is one of them. I mean, it's, it's remarkable what God does. It's remarkable. And so now here we are, verse 32. And, and the author of Hebrews is doing the same thing I am this morning. It's like, man, we're, we don't have time for all of this. We don't have time. We don't have time. What, what, what else do we say? Because there's Gideon, there's Barak, there's Samson, there's Jephthah, there's David, there's Samuel, there's the prophets. I mean, there's so many other stories in our family of faith. There's so many other things that we, we could recount and, and recite and rehearse and remember and just bask in the remarkable works of God. There's so many of these stories. And then look, he just kind of just starts running. There's, they conquer kingdoms. They obtain promises. They shut the mouths of lions. That's an amazing one, Right? They, they become strong out of their weakness they're mighty in war they put foreign armies to fight verse 35 the beginning of it they, they, they bring women receive back their dead in resurrection I mean this is this is just remarkable what we get to see and participate in in the family of faith so so we we get awakened to ultimate realities we, we get to long for a a, a different home, a better country. Uh, we, we get to anticipate the fulfillment of God's promises by faith. We get to participate in the remarkable by faith. And if it just all ended there, right, we'd all be good. Let's sing some songs. Let's take communion. Let's, 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 let's hug these babies that have been before us today. I mean, let's just celebrate, right, the, the goodness and, and the grace and, and all the amazing things about life with God in faith but it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. And, and, as, and as hard as that might be for us, I, I want us to see the care, the concern, the counsel of God toward us, that that's not where the author of Hebrews leaves this story. Because, because here's what he says as we move on to verse, in verse 35. By faith, we persevere through hardship. By faith, we persevere through hardship. Look at, look at the end of verse 35. Some, some were tortured. Some refused to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others, others suffered mocking, flogging, and chains, imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains in dens and caves of the earth. Right. The life of faith can be difficult, hard. It doesn't always go the way that we planned. It doesn't always work out the way that we want. It, it doesn't always look as we expected. And the reason the author of Hebrews is even writing these words, I know we do a lot with Hebrews chapter 11. I know that we can look at all of these stories and we can champion every one of these as an example for us in some form or fashion. But the reason that the author of Hebrews is writing this chapter, okay, the context of it is because the people he's writing to, they're walking through hardship. Just just go back. Look at the end of chapter 10. He's already told them, like, look, you guys were there. You've been imprisoned. You've visited those that were imprisoned. You've been mistreated. You've been afflicted. You've suffered. You know what this is like. You know how hard it is. You know that this world is going to put your faith to the test And those who've gone before you persevered, you can persevere. And he's going to move forward as we look next week into chapter 12 and say, guys, guys, look at Jesus. Look at him. He's the author and perfecter of this faith. And he persevered. This is the story of faith. This is the history that you and I participate in if we are followers of Jesus Christ. It doesn't always go the way that we hope, the way that we plan. And so he gets to verse 39 and he repeats that same thing that he told us in verse 13. This has been the point all along. It's not a pep rally, all right? He's trying to comfort the people of God. And he says in verse 39, what he said before, all of these, all of these, though commended by their faith. I mean, we see the stories, right? Some of them remarkable, but some of them tragic. And all of them did not receive what was promised. That's that's a hard, hard word for any of us to hear. But, But what do we do, right? What do we do? What do we do when, when, when the fire consumes our home and we're standing there in front of our life in ashes? What do, what do we do? What, what do we do when the pink slip comes? What, what do we do when the pregnancy test is negative again? What do we do? What do we do when we fail the test? What do we do when, when we're mistreated, falsely accused? What do we do when that time comes? What do we do when, when we're so certain and sure of the promises of God and yet we look at the circumstances around us and these, they just don't add up? God, where are you? What do we do when that time comes? That's why the author of Hebrews is writing this. Because we need to be reminded that we are part of a history, a family story, a legacy of faith. I mean, we're right back as we we close this chapter where we started with this big idea that that followers of Jesus share in a long history of the family of faith. Men and women who received the grace of God, they trusted the character of God. They heeded the voice of God and they awaited the promises of God to the very end. Now you know why that last phrase is there, don't you? Because the life of faith is difficult. It's hard. There's sin. There's suffering. it's, It's messy. We're messy. And we need to know when those times come We need to know that that this is the common experience in our family of faith. We're not alone in this crisis of faith. We need to know that. And and that's why what you have up here are things we need to remind each other of. When you hear us talk about community groups, right, it's like this isn't just a good idea. It's a necessity, It's a necessity that we be a part of the community of God's people as followers of Jesus. And and to be honest, listen, even if you don't know Jesus, it's not like your life is any easier. Right? So, So why don't you jump in? And, and why don't you listen to the stories? And why don't you learn about the faithfulness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the voice of God, the character of God, the promises of God? Learn these things with us in the context of community. I guarantee you this there's no other hope, there's no other sure thing because it's all founded upon the Word. And character of God. And so we, we, we've got to do this together. We need to remind each other of our common experience in the family of faith. And here's the last thing. This is just the application piece, okay? So take it to community groups, take it to, to youth group, take it to uh, the, the, the table around uh, dinner tonight with your family. And we need to be reminding each other of the central truths of the gospel. We do that every single week. Do you realize that? It's not just that as we open the Bible and Pastor Jeff walks us through a book that we're, we're seeing how every story whispers the name of Jesus, though we do that. And as Joe leads and we sing songs and the songs, that they, they, they ascribe just glory and honor to the character and grace and, 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 and of God. I mean, we do that, but we also come forward and we take communion. And what we are doing is reminding ourselves that the author and perfecter of our faith took on flesh and blood and he suffered and he struggled and he worked through life with us. He knows it, but he also did it for us. And through his broken body and shed blood, we have life in his name. These are the central truths of our faith. And so, Let's respond to that. Let's respond to that, right? And so I'm going to pray. These guys are getting set. And then we are going to sing. We are going to take communion. We are going to pray. There is space up here for you to pray as an individual, as couples, as families. Um, Father, you are gracious, Father, you are faithful, sure, you are a rock of refuge. So not only does your love and grace and mercy abound toward us, but but what you say we can rest in. Because you are the same yesterday and today and forever. And Father, you are active, your voice is speaking, your spirit is moving, and even now in our hearts, you convict and you comfort and you compel us to step out in faith toward the things you've called us. And Father, you have given us promises, and we want our lives to be built around the hope that you will fulfill those promises. Father, forgive us for the things we place our hope in that are not you, and I pray this morning as, as we do, fix our eyes upon Jesus, that you would move in us in, in just a powerful way. Uh, we could see your work in us, through us. We want to see your work in our communities, in our hearts, in our homes. We want to see your work in this city. And so Father, we we just we we anticipate that. Uh, we anticipate that together uh, this morning. All these things prayed in Jesus' name, amen.